you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration. Passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations and let's together make the remarkable happen. Welcome to the latest episode of this podcast, Unleashing Brilliance. I'm your host, Janine Garner, and it's an absolute joy to welcome you here today. Uh, my guest today is the a fabulous Cara Atkinson. She is a headhunter of over 18 years. She is the CEO of the Sales Recruiter, the founder of Spark, the Sales Leader Network, and the founder of an executive search company. She has assisted more than a thousand sales leaders into their next role and fueled by the opportunity uh, to help people continue to build and transform themselves through their careers. Kara's commitment to helping people build careers and to unleash their own inner brilliance in terms of the work that they're doing is phenomenal. She uh, is committed to building long-term connections. Uh, she talks about the intimacy that is absolutely needed within the recruitment industry, as opposed to the current usual bums on seats attitude of many recruitment firms that whilst they deliver the short-term results, definitely do not deliver sustainable results and performance over the long term. What I loved about this conversation is the openness, the vulnerability that Cara shares in terms of where her passion for her work came from. Um, a wonderful story about her father and moving around 13 schools and what she learned from that. But what she also is quite open about is this need to have a culture of experimentation, particularly when it comes to sales recruitment and when it comes to talent management. So enjoy this latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. Please welcome to the show, Cara Atkinson. Cara Atkinson, it is an absolute joy to welcome you on today's episode of Unleashing Brilliance. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Janine. So excited to be here. I can't wait for this conversation because, you know, you're an expert in sales recruitment. You're an expert in getting the best out of people. And also, I'm loving your thinking right now in terms of what organizations need to do to, to build uh, their their people skills and their culture into the future. But before we get there, I want to find out a little bit more about you. So how on earth did you end up doing what you're doing? Where did it all start? Yeah, um, funny story. So when I was 23 and clueless and wet behind the ears, I decided that I wanted to get into recruitment. Um I'd wanted to do journalism at high school, but I mucked around too much in year 12 to get the marks to get into journalism. So essentially recruitment is the poor man's journalism and that's what I could get into. Um, so at 23, I, I went and met with a few different recruitment agencies and decided at the time to join uh, Michael Page, who were known back then to be the, the best in the industry from a training and development perspective because I wanted to learn how to do it well. And, um, and so joined when I was 23. Um, and as I said, I joined with 16 other people that were starting recruitment at the same time and um, had five fantastic years there with Michael Page. What was recruitment like back then? How, how has it changed since when you were in your 20s? Oh, you know what? I don't think it has changed, which is probably right. I'm, I'm doing okay now because 
what I see now is what I heard back then. And, you know, on the very first day um, of being ushered into the boardroom for our very first day of training, and I was so fascinated to hear what was this going to be because, you know, industry globally recognises the best industry trainer. And uh, when we were ushered into the boardroom, all 16 of us, all about the same age, all clueless, all wet behind the ears, learning how to recruit on day one, um, the first slide that was up on the boardroom wall just had one one thing on there which said 30K. And the trainer pointed at that 30K and said to us, that's what you need to hit every month. And if you don't hit it three months in a row, you're out the door. Wow. And so you can imagine when you tell people that in that environment who are desperate to do well, that it quickly becomes all about a short-term game and it quickly becomes about bums on seats. And it's all about, can I make money out of you today? No, or yes. And, and I still feel like that's a very prevalent mood in, in 2020. Mm. Yeah, so, and, and yet it needs to evolve, right? Because this bums on seats doesn't necessarily mean that you're finding the right people for the right job for today and to take that organisation into tomorrow. It's simply a transaction that's taking place. Oh, totally needs to change. I mean, I'm very aware my entire business is built on timing and whether that person's ready for a move or whether they're not, whether I've got the right role for them or whether it's not, whether the company is ready to take that person on board. There's so many variables that are completely outside, essentially out of, out of my control. You know, I can't guarantee my product. It is a human being that I'm working with. And, um, and you know, I see a lot of recruiters go out and sell into market on guarantee periods. And I just think it's probably the wrong message to send about what we do and why we do it um, in the best possible way. Mm. it's got to be about deeper relationships and and quite often I'll, I'll start a relationship you know I'm just hopefully getting an offer through today with somebody that I started talking to about two and a half years ago and over that time I've got to know him and I've got to know obviously his skills and experience on the resume but more importantly I've got to know what his values are who his family is how he's been brought up and how he's going to make decisions in the future so then I could you know essentially connect him to the right organization because you can't kind of capture that on anyone's resume. There's no resume in the world that can capture that. And so no. the long-term nature of the relationships is absolutely what we as recruiters need to bring to the table for our clients. Otherwise, we're just body shopping and, you know, it becomes a race to the bottom on price. Mm. Mm. So who, when you look back over your career, because you've worked in a big recruiter, um, you've then in the last few years built your own uh, business um, and you are an influencer um, in the marketplace in terms of your opinion on this industry. Looking back, who would you say has been one of the most influential people in your life and why? Well, if I'm going to go with one person, it's my dad. There's a few people, but it's certainly dad to start with. So when I was born, dad was working as a clerk in life insurance, literally pressing buttons on a, well, I don't even think they had computers back then, pressing buttons on a calculator or whatever the thing was but you know just pushing paper around and he and mum I was their second kid and dad wanted more for himself and so mum was literally still in hospital with me and he went to the hospital to visit and he said to mum I'm thinking about going out onto the road and she said well what does that mean and he said well it's a sales role and and dad's really introverted and so mum was just like looking and going how could you possibly want to go into a sales role um, and he said, I think that's where we'll, you know, start to make a mark on the world and I've got to take a chance. But also it's commission only and are you okay with that? <laughs> and she's like holding a newborn with a three-year-old at her feet. Um, 
And she supported him to do that. And within, I think it was four or five months, he had doubled his income, his annual income, by selling door-to-door life insurance. So from, you know, school of hard knocks and resilience and thick skin, it was it's always been dad for me. Um, he then went on to lead large life insurance organisations and he was kind of seen as Mr Fix-It. And so mm-hmm. that meant that we, he was being moved around Australia really regularly. Um, it resulted in me going to 13 schools when I was growing up. And um, so Dad had a rule when we started at these new schools and the 13 of them that we weren't allowed to sit at the family um, table that night for dinner unless we had the, the names of two new friends. So talk about a baptism of fire and networking and and having to come back to home with that information. That was certainly how... Dad, um, you know, inadvertently helped me because we hated it at the time, but I certainly look back on those times now and wonder if that's what's helped me in this day and age. Um, And then fast forward to 12 years ago um, when I'd been with Paige and then I'd worked for a couple of smaller search firms. Um, I was pregnant 12 years ago and I was looking down at my belly, this 36-week pregnant belly, thinking, you know, how the hell am I going to get flexibility and freedom from my employer? recruitment uh, was and, and, and can still be a culture of at your desk at 7 and at 7am to 7pm and um, I wanted to be a mum and so um, I sort of shared these feelings with dad and quick as a flash he ran down to the newsagent and got butcher's paper and stuck it all around the lounge room and you know helped me write a business plan in a day um, about starting my own gig and you know I, I sort of had that feeling well I'll give it a crack for 12 months with this new baby. And if it doesn't, if, if I fail, I'll go and get a job with someone else. And um, and that was 12 years ago. So, um, and I ended up having three kids under three um, and that business. And I kind of look back at that time and just, we refer to it as the Bermuda Triangle uh, of our life because for five years, my husband and I went underground while we were trying to pull all that off. Yeah, and look at what you've got now. You've successfully <laughs> built a business and um, and doing things on your terms. So yeah, uh, what awesome. Three, yeah, three businesses now. So it was always been sales recruitment, essentially. I'm a sales recruiter at the heart of it and really passionate about that discipline because I really see it making such an impact on to a company's bottom line but also culturally. Um, and I'm just fascinated by the discipline because... It's the only one in an organisation that doesn't have a degree behind it. <clears throat> There's no um, strong professional development or no MBA behind the, the the art and science of selling. And so that's really intriguing to me in terms of how you break that down in the interview. Um, and then, you know, recently um, I've launched, uh, found, I'm now founder and CEO of Spark, which is Australia's only network for sales leaders, which is just so exciting. I'm sure we'll spend some time talking about that. Uh, and the third business, to kind of wrap it all together, is my search business going after sales leaders. And it's the only female-owned agency in Australia that is specifically focused on sales leadership. So I'm really excited about that, that the three businesses together. It's a really cool value proposition to take out to market. Absolutely. Now, as we as we all know, it's not always unicorns and rainbows. What's What's the greatest hurdle you've had to overcome in your career so far, do you think? Um, I mean, definitely the last 12 years, is the, the biggest hurdle has been that I'm I'm kind of pulling it off solo and yeah. when I tended to do really well um, when I was working for other businesses, it was because I'm really ultra competitive and I loved being on top of the revenue league table. That was a huge driver for me. Um, yeah. I love the reward and recognition. 
then all of a sudden when you start your own gig, that gets stripped away and you don't have that sense of purpose and identity from it being fueled by other people and wanting to smash it out there. And I had a real personal issue with my husband being that person. I think he's got his role to play, but it's certainly not from a business perspective. So that's mm. the trickiest thing over the 12 years. Um, and it kind of does go on ebbs and flows. It's a really roller coaster of having to pick yourself up and, and you know, um, assume that, you know, you're doing okay. But there's never kind of any data to, to be able to tell you that's, that, that it is the case. You just kind of, it's, it's an intuition. Um because you don't have any any revenue to compare it to for anyone else, so that that definitely is 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 tricky. That I'm I'm kind of disconnected from the industry from that perspective. Mm. Do you have a uh, again when you look you look back? You know, we talk a lot about successes and accomplishments, but what about a time where you truly failed? And how actually looking back, you go, "Thank God I failed," because I've learned so much from that. Yeah. That's a really good question. In the first quarter when I started at Michael Page, I had an amazing manager, um, American lady called Kristen, Kristen Campshire, and she's now, um, uh, what is she now? Oh, she was ended up as um, global um, VP of HR for PepsiCo, and she lives over in Chicago. I was her bridesmaid, so we can't, you know, stay great mates. And she's the best manager I ever had. And um, I really, really looked up to her. And the, the the things that she gave me back then when I first started in day one are, are still principles that I use today, which is pretty special to say. But um, And I was desperate to impress this woman, you know. I just anything I could do to make her look great was sort of my mission. And um, in the first quarter of recruitment, I build uh, as a rookie, I built 156K, which is really unusual. And... Um, you know, um, I, I was t- being told this everywhere I went. Everyone's like, oh, that's, you know, that's Cara Phelan and, you know, she's our new rookie and she's done this number and um, and no one else had really done it before. And so there was this kind of noise about me and I was just loving it, right? My ego was lapping it up and I was just thinking I was, you know, basically my head was arriving in the door before my body was. <laughs> and um, and so we had our first performance review because, you know, really strict quarterly reviews about where you're going and what the next quarter looks like. And I waltzed on in there waiting for the accolades, waiting for the pay review, you know, waiting for all of that stuff. And she said straight up, she said, you know, um, we've got to talk about your attitude. And I was like, uh, pardon? And she said, I don't really care what number you build. doesn't matter to me at all. But if you detract from our culture and you don't build it as a team player, there's no place for you in our business. Wow. Um, and, I, oh, my gosh, if the world could have cracked open and swallowed me, I would have allowed it to happen. I would have never had such an impactful conversation before and the very the very next minute as soon as I walked out everything changed and I was all about how I could share what I was doing rather than you know having my own personal ticker tape parade so the mm. ego very much got stripped out of me in that very first quarter by her and I'll forever be thankful because recruitment is a is an industry where you can get blown up with your self-importance and there's a lot of arrogance and ego floating around and I think this leads into the fact that candidates aren't getting called back and aren't feeling to be made special in a really emotionally vulnerable time. And I, I, I often think, you know, my um, uh, the way that I deliver that emotion and support to my candidates, did it come from that conversation? It probably did because I, I could tell you word for word that conversation. <laughs> it's, it's, it's planted there in your head forever and ever. And I would... I would attest to that. So, um, you know, knowing you and having, you know, followed your journey, one of 
the unique skills that you have is this constant uh, want to support each other, to help other people, uh, to share advice. And it's all underpinned with an incredible amount of care and compassion for the people that are lucky enough to either work with you or to bring you into their world to help them. How, how do you think that plays out in terms of the industry? What are the significant changes that you're currently seeing or that you want to see? Yeah, I think ultimately as recruiters, we're not the lead in this. In this, When, when, when people entrust their career options to you, um, you're their pit crew, to use some of your terminology, Janine. You know, you're their cheerleader and supporter. You are not their lead and, you, are, you, you know, there's no way that you should be able to have the feeling that you can make the decision on that person's behalf. It's, it's a very intimate process that can happen quite quickly. You know, um, it can all come about within the, the space of two weeks that you have to be all of a sudden coming in cold to this person's world and, and, and have that... Um, have that support and trust with them to be able to have those types of conversations. And I think this is why it needs to change. So from a recruitment perspective, relationships are so key because coming in cold to someone's life and having that kind of influence on them just can't happen. You know, I just really think it's unrealistic that within two weeks if you approach someone cold, let's say off LinkedIn, present them with an opportunity and they go forward in a recruitment process, your ability to influence how that looks from a client and a candidate perspective is really limited because you don't have the knowledge and background of that person. And so, you know, when times are tough in recruitment or when, you know, the economy is doing crazy things, the best thing we can do as recruiters is not to go and chase jobs, it's to pick up phones to people that have been made redundant. And there's a lot of great talent on the bench right now in 2020 and um, recruiters aren't calling them and and I can assure every you know everyone in the industry that as soon as it does bounce back and they're in a role it won't be whether you help them into a role or not it'll be whether you called them through that time and and mm-hmm. checked in with them and made that connection and collaboration continue whether there was a gig there or not mm. and I think this this is the what I see as one of your sort of strength that runs through everything that you do this this power of connection um why is connection so important in your work i think uh it comes down to the sales leader in the organization so on paper the sales leader is the alpha the alpha wolf you know the extrovert they're accountable for that that bottom line result and that's what people believe the sales leader to be you know the one that is driving the sales team forward the big personality but what I was seeing over the last 20 years is the reality is quite different. They're actually quite lonely. You know, they don't have anyone else to bounce their ideas off internally. There is no one else that holds the chief sales officer or sales director role. And if if they go to their CEO and bounce an idea off them, they're seen as indecisive. You know, mm-hmm. if they go to their CFO and, and ask for a new commission structure or support on, on delivering a commission structure, they're often pulled into expense budgets um, marketing operations no one really gets that role of that chief sales officer and so when I was having you know conversation after conversation with so many common threads and it really didn't matter what industry that sales director sat in the challenges were so similar around people challenges team challenges customer and channel channel issues that I started to see you know there was real value in bringing them together in some sort of space and that was coupled with the fact obviously Janine that you and I met and I read your book it's who you know and um and it had such a huge impact 
economy around network and collaboration and um you know I don't mind sharing in this podcast that I happened to stalk you after I read that <laughs> it had such a massive impact and we happened to be checking out of the same hotel the very next morning after I'd read it and I approached you and, and begged you to to come on board as my mentor and that was three years ago and um and as part of that mentoring you introduced me to your company one of your companies LBD group little black dress group and it was the first time that I had seen women come together and talk about the challenges they face in running businesses. And so when I saw the power of that connection and collaboration firsthand through what you had created, essentially, you know, I raped and pillaged the idea and, and created what I've created with Spark. And that that that's metamorphosed into what it is today, but it started off as simply as having a quarterly lunch and bringing sales directors together. And um, I'm fortunate enough within my inner circle to have an amazing network of just unbelievable speakers and to be able to bring them into the room and, you know, chuck on a three-course lunch and have it fairly intimate. You know, I, don't, I deliberately don't have any more than 40 people, 40 people in the room, um, but I could just sense that collaboration that happened. That sort of went on for two years and it created so much noise in the market and so much connection and deals being done outside of the room without me even there that I knew I was onto something, which is when we decided to, you know, commercialise it into what it is today, which is, you know, that has the title of Spark. But whatever it's called, it's very much that mood and that feeling of sales directors from across industry sharing what's really going on. Mm. And to be um, supporting those guys in that journey. And for me, what what you are doing through the work that you do is helping others to unleash their brilliance, which is obviously what this, this podcast is all about. And by sort of you tapping into your uniqueness, you're now able to amplify and magnify this for others. So if you had to if you had to wrap up what in your industry, in your world, unleashing brilliance is, what do we need our leaders and uh, employees to start doing, people to start doing? I'm so glad you asked because I really believe there's a massive opportunity for sales directors in Australia and in fact globally to unleash their brilliance on the world. And where I see it's it, the opportunity is, is that right now uh, most sales directors are invisible um, from an external perspective. So they're super visible within their organisation and even broad, more broadly than that, they're visible within their perhaps their industry niche, but they're certainly not visible from an external market positioning. So they're not, um, you know, they're not visible on LinkedIn. They're not, well, they've got a profile, but they're not, they're not talking about what they stand for as a leader. Um, the very first thing that anyone does that I recruit, you know, when I'm recruiting a role for them, the very first thing that they do is jump onto your LinkedIn profile and have a look at what you stand for as a leader. And in this competitive market and war for talent, if that's not easily accessible, then and, and they're looking at another role uh, where that leader is very accessible and very, you know, has a strong online presence, then that can be the difference on the way that people make their decisions. And so, I think it's so important that sales directors show what they stand for, not that what the, the logo on their business card stands for, but what they personally stand for. Personal brand positioning is so key for these guys and can be the difference between whether you keep moving to that next role of GM and CEO or tap out at sales directors, which unfortunately, you know, a lot of people tend to stay at that level. 
Mm, that's so good. When you think about, because um, there'll be a lot of listeners listening in right now and going, yeah, to- totally get it. Um, I wish I could be part of a community like that. What what advice, what maybe sort of two to three tips would you give to our listeners from your perspective about how they can um, unleash their own personal brilliance and create the impact that they want to make. As a recruiter, you know, you're obviously seeing this at that executive level um, and also at that mid-management level. What what's what would you advise them to do? Yeah, the two things that you can implement immediately in your business this afternoon. The first one is grab your iPhone and shoot a video of you, the sales director, talking about what it's like to work for you and your team and and um, about what you stand for as a leader. It doesn't need to be highly produced. I'm sorry to the video editors that are listening, but in fact, the more natural that it is, I think the more compelling it is. If you do a search on LinkedIn right now, there are no sales director videos up there talking about what it is like to work for them. And I just think that creates so much noise out there and people love to see the face behind the name. Um, and you know, do it fairly informally. Do it at your house, in front of your garden, or in your in your work corporate gardens. Get someone to shoot it for you. I think um, having it unscripted, unrehearsed, and just getting on there and and having a chat for a minute and a half is such an amazing tool to have in your you know in your toolbox from a leadership perspective. Um, the second thing is is having a really good look at your internal documentation and how you're promoting roles within your organisation. So naturally, I'm going to answer this with a recruitment lens on it, Janine. But yeah. um, you know, I think it's so important to address because I'm still seeing it in 2020 that I'm being delivered job descriptions that have been written in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this war for talent, we have to make sure that our documentation and internal processes are replicating what we're telling the market externally. And so one of the biggest things I'm seeing game changes from a job description is changing that into a job invitation. And on the first page of that job description or job invitation, there's a paragraph in there from someone who's currently doing the role talking about, you know, how they've found their time in the business, what's been great, what hasn't been great and and why they're still in the organisation and being really real about that. And the second paragraph coming from the CEO of the organisation to talk about the the importance of the value of that role that they're looking at because social proof is what's making people make decisions on their career aspirations. And so forget about the KPIs. I mean, obviously they need to be in there from a purpose perspective, but lead with social proof because that is how high-performing sales professionals are making their decisions out in market. What you're talking to is this need for everybody to be braver about being a little bit more real and being a little bit more authentic, um, to quit hiding behind uh, almost like the stats and the figures and the bullet points and the mission statement and just connect belly to belly with the opportunity that's out there, um, which is a big shift for for a lot of industry. I agree. I mean, the vulnerability thing is always a thing that tends to go viral on my LinkedIn pages whenever I Mm. admit to the thing that I've screwed up and you know, I was just reading um, in HBR, the HBR magazine this morning, there was an article that was, it talks about cultures of experimentation where corporates are allowing this to really, um, you know, people to experiment no matter what your role is, but to to try things out and fail and succeed. And the more things that we try, the more things that naturally we're going to succeed in. So, you know, Michael Jordan talks about, you know, all the points that he made and how many baskets he actually attempted 
um, and it's out of control. You know, the, the success rate is actually no better than anyone else. He just tried more baskets in and that's why he did what he did in the world of basketball. And I certainly am I'm taking that same philosophy to spark that, you know, every week we're trying new things and seeing what works for, you know, our valuable members and this this experimentation and just getting in there and putting it out there, at least, you know, rather than going, oh, could I or should I? Mm. I think the world is really open to trying things, failing them quietly and, and just keep trying more and more things because more and more success will come out of it. Mm. And the sales director to be really prominent about who they are and what they stand for, as nervous as you are, you know, I get rashes all over me when I'm about to go on camera. It's brutal, but it works for people to be more and more real and who the person is behind the paper. Mm. So who's Cara behind the paper and behind the LinkedIn profile? Who's Cara? Oh, gosh, who's Cara? I think uh, I, I I believe that uh, I'm probably one of the most real people you'll get. I, I call a spade a spade. Um, I have a very good detection on my shoulder for BS in an interview. You know, there's a lot of salespeople that come to me that lead with ego and attitude, like I did in my very first quarter of selling, that I can call pretty quickly. Um, and... You know, when I go in and meet clients, I'll know that I rarely even talk about the role on the table. I'm all about how they lead, how their business leads and what culturally that looks like and what success needs to look like for them. I feel like the job description is just the end outcome of that bigger conversation. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty real and direct. I'm deeply supportive of my inner circle and people in my group and will, you know, do whatever I can to help those people be successful around me. Mm. and you're a mum of three beautiful kids a wife a sister a dog owner um so just if I could get your dad to pop on this podcast if he was here right now what would you say to him oh you make me cry um I would just say mate thank you for forcing me to um, to try, uh, essentially experiment with what this business is. Thank you for going to get a butcher's paper that day. And as much as I hated you at the time when I was 12 and 13 and you'd come home and say we're moving again um, and Dad had this philosophy that <laughs> if he took us to a restaurant we wouldn't cry. So we've got this innate fear of going to a restaurant with Dad. Um, <laughs> I would say, mate, it actually worked out really well. Those 13 schools... I, I'm sure have shaped me into the person that I am and, and being pretty relaxed about meeting people from all walks of life. So uh, I don't know what I'll do when you're not here, Dad, um, because, you know, you ring me every couple of days and the conversations that we have are more valuable than you'll ever know. And I love you, mate. Oh, that's gorgeous. Cara, thank you for being so open and honest and passionate. Um, there are some real spots of magic in terms of this conversation, the, the openness around the ebbs and flows of business that you shared, you know, that, that lifelong lesson about where ego actually does get in the way of progress um, into the long term. Um, your passion about the intimacy that is needed within the recruitment industry and and with that 
for you, this this need to um, absolutely build an industry and an environment of connection, of support, of collaboration and a culture of experimentation, I think is something that many of our listeners will get curious about how they can put that into their everyday lives for themselves. Now, we often ask um, ask each other, what do you want to be when you grow up or what's the bigger plan that you're doing here? Um, the question I want to leave with is what do you want to be remembered for? I think I'd love to be remembered by really highlighting the critical nature of the sales discipline for being a lot more than what the number is in the business, for being um, a discipline that can wrap wrap around the entire culture of an organisation and can lead that culture from the front, Um, that sales is not just about, you know, KPIs, targets and revenue, that it's Mm -hmm. around relationships, collaboration and um, connection and and that's the bigger role that you know the word sales has to play in today's industry that's fabulous Cara it's been an absolute joy having you on this podcast I will put in the uh, show notes how people can contact you and keep changing that industry keep bringing connection back and um, keep bringing that humanity back to to that area of business because we all need it and that's how everybody will be able to unleash their individual brilliance and make a difference thanks so much Cara Uh, Janine I mean I know we've talked a lot about dad but you know what you mean in my world I think you are so one of the most amazing people I ever met I'm just so grateful that you know you're my mentor in business but you're also my really close mate and uh, I think this podcast and all that you do in your world is is a game changer to Australia and globally so the fact that you brought little old me into this world I'm just so appreciative of so thank you oh thank you Cara you're the best we hope you enjoyed listening to the Janine Garner show to follow her blog purchase her books or find out more visit her website janinegarner.com.au brilliant people extraordinary results.